A beautiful but largely forgotten holiday is upon us. It's called the May. Or you could think of it as two holidays, May Eve, that's April 30th, and May Day or May Morning, which is May 1st. In this episode, I want to talk about the May, say why I celebrate it, and explain how it can be thought of as spooky in an appealing way. I know that's counterintuitive, what's spooky about the 1st of May, and if it were spooky, why would that be a good thing? But stick with me and I'll lay it out. Another topic I want to talk about has to do with song. Everybody knows about Christmas carols, but did you know there are also May carols? As a songwriter, I find these carols fascinating. I've studied them. And there's an interesting mystery that attends these seasonal songs, and the mystery has sparked a debate. I'll lay out the terms of the debate and tell you where I come down on it. This is the Greg Brownerville Dimension. Thank you for being here. One thing you'll learn about me, I love a forgotten holiday. To me, a forgotten holiday is like a grandmother or a grandfather who's down at the nursing home or maybe in a crumble-down shack out in the country and nobody remembers them much anymore, goes to visit them, but they have so much to offer. They have stories. They have wisdom. That's how I feel about our forsaken holidays. And I found that if I just give them a little bit of love, a little bit of time and attention, they give abundantly in return. They quicken my sense of wonder. They enchant the year. They add fun and meaning to the calendar and to my whole life. The May is one of these forsaken holidays. And here in this episode, I'm thinking about the British version of it. So what is the May and how was it traditionally celebrated? Well, one way to get at that is to look at the carols, the songs. I have a very short one that I can read for you that basically walks you through the the core May Day ritual. Arise, arise, you pretty fair maid, and bring your May branch in, for if it is gone by tomorrow morn, you'll say we have brought you none. So here we have these revelers. These will these might be children or adolescents who have gone into the woods on the night of May Eve or very early in the morning on May Day, and they've danced around and had fun in the woods and, you know, done who knows what. And they've gathered greenery, flowers, branches of green leaves. And now they've brought the greenery back to the village to present at the doors of neighbors and friends as May morning gifts. Okay. The carol goes on from there. We have been wandering all this night and almost all of the day. And now we're returning back again. We've brought you a branch of May. I love how they say a branch of May, not a branch of leaves or flowers or a branch of sycamore or a branch of slow, whatever the tree was. Whitethorn was one that was commonly used or, or gathered at this time. They just say a branch of May. And May here in the traditional folk understanding in Britain was thought of as the first month of summer, not as a spring month, but as a summer month. And really this whole holiday is marking the opening of summer. That's the idea. So the carol goes on. A branch of May we have brought you, and at your door it stands. It's nothing but a sprout, but it's well budded out by the work of our Lord's hand. 
The clock strikes one. It's time to be gone. We can no longer stay. God bless you all, both great and small, and send you a joyful May. This one says joyful. Some of these carols say a gladsome May, which I prefer, just because I think gladsome is a charming word. Okay, so that's basically what would happen at the May. And sometimes the kids who would come bring the greenery would also ask for treats of some kind. For example, they would ask for farm fresh dairy. And enjoying the delights of farm fresh dairy was a part of the May experience. And so you get a, a verse like this in, a, in another May carol that I came across. Wake up, wake up, you pretty fair maid. Wake from your drowsy dream and step into your dairy house and fetch us a cup of cream. For those of you who haven't been to Britain, the dairy there is the best. They have in every grocery this thing called double cream, which is kind of like American heavy whipping cream, but it's better. It's richer in butterfat. And actually, the Devon Cream Company now sells and ships a shelf-stable double cream. So that would be something you could do to celebrate the May, if you like. You could get some of that British double cream, or you could use American heavy whipping cream, and make a dessert of some kind. I would recommend the Eton Mess, which I tasted recently in Pontypridd, Wales. It was so good. It's a raspberry, strawberry, coolie, and the strawberries are in season right now, so that's great. With kind of jibbled up pieces of meringue in it, and then a layer of whipped up double cream, then another layer of the coolie and meringue, and then another layer of the double cream. How many layers have I said? There are two layers of double cream. So if I said three, it's two. So coolie and meringue, little bits and pieces of meringue, layer of whipped up double cream, another layer of coolie and meringue, another layer of double cream whipped up, and then maybe some sliced strawberries on top, slices of strawberries. It's a wonderful dessert. That'd be a good thing to have to celebrate the May. You could also reenact this ritual to celebrate the May. You could go out in the woods with friends and have fun out there on May Eve night and then bring foliage or greenery or flowers back to your friends as a May morning gift if you think you wouldn't freak them out too much by showing up at their door on May morning, maybe tell them in advance you're coming (laughs) so they're not weirded out. Okay, and these carols, you know, the ones I've read, or I mean, these excerpts I've read are pretty happy and just cheerful, although there's a little bit of suspicion in that one when he says, the singers say, if it is gone, the greenery, if it's gone by tomorrow morning, you'll say we have brought, you know, notice there's a double suspicion there, A, that some rando is going to come by and steal the thing, and B, that if the girl comes out and sees that there's nothing on her doorstep, she will accuse the May revelers of not having brought her a May morning gift. So it's not all peaches and cream in that one, but most of these have been pretty happy, but not all the May carols are like that. And Now we're getting to this mystery I was telling you about. In some of the May carols, there are these very dark, very stark images of death. And at first, it's jarring. I mean, you think, what is this death imagery doing in this May carol that is part of a holiday ostensibly about celebrating new growth, new life, the happiness of the arrival of 
flourishing, nourishing summer. Let me give you an example of some of this death language from the carols. Here's, here are two verses from a May carol. And when you are dead and you're in your grave, you're covered in the cold, cold clay. The worms, they will eat your flesh, good man, and your bones, they will waste away. There's another one that says, we are here today and gone tomorrow, and we are dead in an hour. That's an arresting line, I think. We are dead in an hour. So they really bear down on this idea of the transitoriness, the momentariness of life. Now, the question is, what is this dark imagery doing in the May carols? Why is it there? How did it get there? Some people think that these May carols are very old. In fact, we don't know how old they are. They were collected very recently. Now. The May itself was celebrated, we know at least as far back as the medieval period, there are records from like the year 1240 showing that people were celebrating the May and calling it that. And we also know that there were May carols being sung in Wales in uh, the 17th century, the Carolai May, but the Welsh ones, that's what they're called in, in Welsh. The Welsh ones are different though. The, the Welsh have their own singing traditions, wonderful traditions of song. Around Christmas, they have something called the plugine that's completely different from anything else you would find around Christmas time. The carols are different. Same way with the May carols. I'm talking here about the English May carols. These things were gathered in 1962 in Leicestershire. The women's groups asked their members to write down all the May carols they could think of and send them in. And they received some 60 carols, very few of which were duplicates, from 30 or so villages. So it was quite a harvest of song. So how old are these things? We don't really know. We do have quite extensive collections, comparatively large collections of popular song from England from the 17th century, and the May carols do not appear in those collections as far as I know. So when were they written? Hard to say. Some people say, oh, these harken back to the pagan past. And all this business about death and the transitoriness of life was tacked on after the fact to add a Christian inflection because, you know, if you can get people thinking about how short life is, maybe they'll get right with God and make sure they go to heaven. Some people say, no, these May carols were written in the Christian period by Christians, and so the Christian material was always there. But what I want to challenge is the idea that the death language and the death imagery is Christian. Why do we necessarily want to think of that as Christian? Now, there are these pious references in the May carols, but the death imagery itself is often not overtly Christian. Like the stuff I just read you about the clay and the maggots and all of that and the bones wasting away. And, you know, the thing about the clock strikes one, I must be gone. I mean, that's not, that. that's also getting at this sense that time is ticking. And that's not overtly Christian. So I'm not so sure that the death imagery or the transitoriness language is even Christian at all. 
I think there may be another reason why that's showing up. And in order to explain that, I need to lay a little bit of groundwork by providing some historical background. So in the fourth century, in the cradle of the church in the Mediterranean, interestingly enough, All Hallows' Day, the Christian festival of the dead, of which Halloween is now the secular counterpart, was not celebrated in late October or early November as it is now. In fact, it was celebrated in May. Now, by the 9th century, some churches in England and Germany had begun celebrating All Hallows when we do now. First of November. And maybe that was because they just thought, boy, it's getting cold and dark around that time of year and we need some kind of celebration. I don't know why that change was made, but it was a change. Now, in Ireland, which was much less heavily influenced by the Germanic sphere than was England, well into the medieval period, folks were still celebrating All Hallows in this what we think of as the spring or the opening of summer. In the Irish case, it was late April, so getting close to the May. And the question is, what is this relationship between between the May and the beginning of winter? Why are the why are holidays kind of changing places back and forth between those two moments. Do these moments have something in common? It turns out they do. And this survives in the folk understanding to this day. If you talk to Welsh witches or Irish witches, they'll tell you that the veil between the living and the dead is thinnest at two times of the year. One, not surprisingly, is Halloween. That's, when, that's a moment when the, the quick and the dead are likelier to come into contact, when the living are likelier to come into contact with the spirit world. But that same thing is true of the May, this time of year we're in right now. And so there was a sense that there's something spooky about both these moments. Now, what is that about? Part of it may be the agricultural cycle, the, the weather, the agrarian rhythm of life. Because let's take Halloween. At Halloween, the memory of the warmth of late summer or early fall is not that distant. We can remember that, those moments. But we're beginning to feel the chill of early winter. And so there's this liminality, there's this kind of death blurring into life dynamic. Life being represented by the greenery of summer and death being represented by the cold months when the trees will be naked of leaves, the earth dead and brown and the nights long and cold. Similarly, at the May, right now, think about it. The winter is not that distant a memory. And in fact, here in the American South, we have a special name for the May 
It's often called Blackberry Winter. And this name is actually getting at this dynamic I'm describing, the, the blurriness and liminality of the moment from, a, from the standpoint of weather and agrarian life. Because the idea of Blackberry Winter is that just at this time of year, as April is giving way to May, there will be a cool snap. And this cool snap is supposed to coincide with the first appearance of flowers on the blackberry brambles. And in fact, this cool snap is happening right now across the American South. This week, I checked the weather in my native Arkansas and and Mississippi, some states I've lived in, and they had mornings in the 40s. And that actually was happening out here in Texas where I am, where I live now as well. So we've had that cool snap, that blackberry winter. So you, we can remember the, the, the chill of winter. And, and in fact, that's, that chill is still with us a little bit. But we're getting some warm days and we can certainly start to feel that, that warmth and bright light of summer, the warm light of, of the summer season. And so that liminality of cold and warmth, death, life, is sort of the weather-based equivalent of the quick and the dead, the, the living coming into contact with the spirits. So that may be part of what's going on. There's a deep mystery there. And some people are likelier to believe in spirits and think, well, actually, the spirits are out. And some people believe in that. And they have experiences encountering ghosts and fairies and in Wales, there's a there are these nature spirits called Echish, and you've got the the um, the goblins and so forth. So whether this is a mystical thing or just a function of weather and the agrarian cycle, you still get that dynamic I'm talking about of death and life blurring into each other. There are other analogies to be drawn between the May and Halloween. One of them has to do with children coming to your door. Okay, so at Halloween, the kids appear as the spirits. They come to your door dressed as ghouls and goblins and devils and ghosts, and they're begging for candy. Or that there's an implicit ask, like, I want some candy. Okay, at the May, the kids come and they ask for a cup of cream, for example, at your door again. Okay, but so there's a similarity there, kids coming to your door asking for something. But what are the differences here? At Halloween, the kids represent the spirit world, as I said, dressed up as ghosts and the like. What about at the May? I would say that at the May, the kids are allying themselves with the world that's being rejuvenated and renewed as summer opens because they are the ones who've been out there in the woods frolicking and gathering greenery. But what they're doing is they're reminding the folks that they're visiting that they might be more closely allied with winter, death, Because they say, you know, sooner than you know, 
You'll be in the cold, cold clay, man, and the worms will eat your flesh and your bones will waste away. Reminding the people they're visiting how close to death they are and therefore how close to the spirit world they are and the other side, the mystery of whatever happens after you die. And so whether the kids are showing up as ghosts and therefore reminding you of death or they're telling you that you're going to die, they're still making you think about death. And when a child who's young and new and new to this world with so much life ahead of them is telling you about death one way or another, you're getting that kind of death and life mixed together kind of dynamic that we're talking about. And both of these holidays dial that in. And so that's the spookiness that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that the May delivers. We know that about Halloween, but we might not know that about the May. So this week, next week, during this coming month, it would be nice if this could happen this coming week, maybe on May morning. Maybe wake up early of a morning and amble into the shade of a tree freshly green, maybe just budding out or bright with newly opened flowers. And when that first summer breeze blows ghostly across your face, maybe a little chilly with the memories of winter or maybe already warm with the passion of summer, go a little slower than normal and see if you can feel that fairy atmosphere, that eeriness and wonder of the May.